Peak negativity has arrived in the oil industry, or has it, on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly here at Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Thursday, October 15th, 2015, and joining me are the absolute best people I could possibly spend my afternoon with, Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman. How's it We've going, been guys? been giving him a hard time for about 20 minutes while we've been setting this up, so <sighs> well, we I would needed say to get hard that one time. chest. It was a little sarcastic. <laughs> Um, Filling in a little bit later in the afternoon than normal. Yeah. yeah no, so. we, uh, you know, yeah, headquarters things happen. Yeah. Um, so I do have a question about this uh, peak pe- peak negativity that's uh, creeping into the energy industry. Um, do we know if liquor sales have increased markedly in the Houston metropolitan area? My guess is probably yes. If you if you look at what's been going on, uh, I, I wouldn't say liquor because liquor is like one of those higher margin things. You know, a little bit more expensive to get a you know a bottle of liquor or something like that. I'm guessing like the really base, like some really cheap beer. That's going to be the real thing going on in Houston right now. I mean, if you look at some of the job cuts that have been going on in the area right now, the two hundred thousand yeah person job yeah. cuts, <laughs> the head the head count cuts that we've seen across the energy specter. Yeah, we I wouldn't be surprised if. Uh, Sales of very cheap beer brands are. Uh, you guys, quite- uh, well, you guys can find out in a couple weeks for us. Yeah, yeah we, no, we will. We're, we're going next there week, next I week. Guess, yeah. And actually, on that note, this is not planned. But if you have any questions you would like us to ask the energy companies that we'll be talking to, just broaden your questions. Feel free to email us at industryfocus at full We will be speaking with National Oil Well Varco Distribution Now and Vanguard Natural Resources. We're trying to get with Kinder Morgan, although we're still having some scheduling issues with them. So hopefully, we'll we'll, we'll let you know pretty soon. Now, did you guys hear the uh, the joke about the oil man that walks into the bar? I did not. Oh, T. Boone's Pickens told this joke. I've heard this one. Oil man walks into the bar and says, uh, get me a Jackie D. And uh, bar man says, uh, don't you mean a Jack Daniels? And uh, oil man just goes, not when you know him like I do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Boone Pickens, he's seen it all. Yes, he has. Um, so peak negativity is here. Um, what does this mean, Tyler? Does it mean... Um, Everybody in Houston's alcoholic, like we're insinuating now, or is it actually is, a economic base? No, this is more yeah. of a Wall Street sort of thing. Uh, when you look at stocks, you know there is the translation between the company itself and the stock ticker that you and I can buy on the open market. And when I say peak negativity, it is looking at how people view the outlook of what's going to happen to the stock over the next, you know, year. Because stock months. is actually people's assumptions about the future. Right. And so – and when you're making your investing decisions, you kind of have to have that – there is somewhere in that balance of your expectation, uh, the company's prospects and you know, your expe- in your return. You know, If you're looking at something in the energy sector two or three years ago, you thought your returns were going to be enormous because shale was booming. Everybody was growing so Everybody's going to be a billionaire. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) Nowadays, you know, expectations are, oh, man, I really hope this company doesn't go bankrupt, at least for, you know, a small set of those. I I definitely noticed this over the past six months because, you know, I'm one of the the energy industrials analysts up on fool.com and, you know, I'm regularly in Capital IQ looking at the forward estimates out to the end of the decade for, you know, the bigger oil names out there and they've gone down a lot um taylor have you seen that with uh, canadian companies uh yeah just just about the same thing you're saying up there um i don't think they've pulled back as much as they needed to because there is such a, a shortfall in oil prices in canada compared even compared to the united states and um you've, you just don't see as bright of a future in the near term for these oil sands companies because it's so much more expensive to produce 
And I think once they get some pipelines going that they've that they've talked about up in Canada to get oil to the east and west coast um, to their refiners and for export, I think you could see the oil sands have that decade long. Uh, bright future, but in the near term, I don't think that they have the same outlook that U.S. producers do. So, uh, this article was obviously put out in the Wall Street Journal, and it was, you know, we've hit peak negative in the energy sector, and the analysts actually took that as a bullish sign. Why is that? Is it just the rearview mirror sim- symptom that? Uh, well, it goes. Well, back I think to it was like what were those earnings revisions down to like uh, one or two standard deviations away from the mean or something like yeah, that. So you, you don't see it very often if you look at the history that they provided in the chart. Um, so if you're a mean reversion kind of guy, he's basically saying this is the time to really start looking at the at the market because um, you, you don't see it dip down below where it's at right now very often, and if it does, it's almost an asymmetrical bet that it's going to bounce back up. And one thing you have to take into account, when, it, when we talk about negativity, it's normally you're looking at like an analyst's outlook on a company. It would be buy, sell, hold, outperform, underperform, whatever, put some price targets on something and call it a day. If you look at the trends that you normally see with these things, analysts are very, very good at being late to the game when it comes to these sort of things. Like they all you'll watch a company stock drop by seventy percent because of debt issues, whatnot. Then and I'm then ready. Then all, then I'm ready. Then, then all yeah. of a sudden, <laughs> then there's the underweight out to form just down to neutral. And yeah, then eventually like it'll be down to sell, and then that's when you see it. Yeah, exactly. So I think what the thought was is, like you said, you know that revisions down have been coming in pretty heavy, but it almost seems a little late to the game because if you look at stock prices of what of a lot of companies, they've already fallen immensely and to some degree you could say that they have adjusted uh, a bit to our current oil market and then so to see all these revisions coming now might be saying oh people are going to be bearish uh from here on out when it it could be very possible that you know an uptick in oil prices could you know send things back back up again despite the bearish sentiment the cyclicality when you get to peaks and troughs is a very momentum driven so if you see the right. tide turn when the negativity is this high well a, everybody's sold now shuttle. that's when bottoms yeah, come in everybody's out now. to the top like, <laughs> yeah you know okay before we move on to discussing a possible slowdown in renewable energy, I wanted to point our listeners to the newly redesigned Focus.Fool.com. There you'll discover a special offer to join the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter for all industry-focused listeners. All Loyal IF listeners have access to a special discount on Stock Advisor that works out to $129 for a full two-year subscription. Just go to Focus.Fool.com to take advantage of this offer. Once again, that is Focus.Fool.com. And uh, moving on to our second topic of today's podcast, we've got, uh, could we see a slowdown in renewable energy? Um, Long story short, renewable energy financing is basically hitting a snag, in part because the drop in energy prices in the oil market and natural gas market um, makes renewable energy less competitive. Um, Tyler, do you think this is fair? Um, Yes and no. And here's my thought on it is... Yes, in the sense that um, you, you know, when for some reason, sto- solar stocks, excuse me, have a tendency to correlate with oil prices, which on its face makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, because <laughs> oil and solar have very, very little in correlation with each other. Oil is predominantly a transportation energy source with some use in petrochemicals. I think in the United States, less than one percent of electricity generation comes from oil. 
specifically. Um, you could say that it is much closer tied to natural gas, and natural gas has been very low. But if you look at the you know, cost of energy produced, solar is in the range of cheap natural gas right now to the point where that argument doesn't really hold a whole lot of water. Um, the reason that energy finance, renewable energy financing is, is starting to see uh, some issues is the development of these things called yield codes. For people who don't know what yield codes are, they are a specific type of company that is set up similar to a um, master limited partnership in the energy space where it basically just owns assets that pay a steady cash stream. It, you know, it's not going to grow through, you know, research and development or anything like that or capital expenditures for organic growth, but rather it's going to buy projects that are financed earlier by developers. These companies like Solar City are using yield codes to raise. Uh, Solar like, City, no, no, but other. Oh, companies. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. They've got the financing from directly from the. I guess they're issuing bond-like um, issuances to get the yield from those. They're basically selling the future cash flows of their residential solar installations because I mean the 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 folks that are having these installed on their roofs are committing fifteen, twenty, thirty years to pay them a certain month monthly amount. And then Solar City is basically turning that cash flow back around and selling it. They're as using a bond. these to raise billions of dollars. Of yeah, quite it. cheaply, but with uh, I think without a lot of the risk that you're seeing right. with these yield codes. So yield co, um, some very popular ones are set up by Energy Energy. It's called Energy Yield. You also have Terraform Energy and Terraform Global, both set up by Sun Edison. Basically, what these things are is they they're set up to buy utility scale. Uh, projects from these developers like a Sun Edison. Um, they will take on large forms of debt or issue equity to finance them because they're not actually like building them over time. They're basically making a big lump payment all at once and then you know sending out the cash flows afterwards. The problem is is that for these companies, they use stock issuance as a major form of capital, you know, and with prices declining as fast as they have, it becomes more expensive from a cost of capital perspective to actually finance you're one of these projects. You're issuing at the bottom. Yeah, you're issuing at the bottom. No it's more dilute. You have to issue more shares to raise the amount of capital you want and makes it more expensive. Therefore, it's that much more difficult to finance things. Yes, they could probably do it with debt, but again, then you run into the issue of Issuing too much debt and then getting yourself into trouble with which too much debt. That's been the major criticism of these yield codes. You basically aren't guaranteed to get the shares when you need them to build these projects. Right. Um, these yield codes aren't all aren't necessarily all renewable energy yield codes. So we're right. not, yield co yield codes encompass a broad variety of different utilities. And back to Tyler's point, where he doesn't think solar necessarily correlates to oil prices. Or I don't even know if it should be thought of in the same view as natural gas prices because you have to continually buy natural gas. You don't have to continually buy sunlight. Once you build yeah, you a plug solar it in panel, and you're good. <laughs> once you build a solar panel installation, maintenance is the only thing that you need to keep up with, and you have to keep up with maintenance at a natural gas utility processing plant as well. So there's huge advantages. Yeah, it might not be competitive on a price per kilowatt now. It's going to be, but it's like the 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 initial upfront cost but the cost savings without having to buy the fuel to produce the energy 
that's an immediate return right there. There's a gain there. Yeah. The, the one thing that I, I will kind of critique the way that these are set up, though, is the fact that they do them in these ways where they have to make these large lump sum, lump sum payments all at once. And you see this actually in the master limited partnership space as well where – you know, you get the MLP that has to that buys something that's dropped down to them at a at a lump sum cost, and they have to find all this capital all at once. And like you said, share price, uh, interest rates, things like that can really affect that. I would like to see going forward some of these yield codes rather than just buying a project outright. I, I kind of like the model more where they can develop one themselves in house and kind of slowly build it up over time through internally generated capital instead of having you know in doing a little bit of retained earnings very similar to i what i would say is some of the better run master limited partnerships that do keep some capital in house for these development projects and actually use cash generated from operations to pay right. for things got it very good well, before we uh, head out of here, I did want to go on to our third segment, which is what is the biggest narrative we are all watching this coming earnings season? Um, we're going to be getting a lot of earnings releases over the next month. So, Tyler, what are you looking at? So, one thing we've talked about over the last couple shows quite a bit has been this uh, revision of credit facilities and financing for oil and gas companies. I think one thing that is going to be uh, pretty prominent in this in this upcoming revision will be uh, how much companies, um, especially oil and gas producers, have to write down some of their assets. You know, how, f- how much are they going to have to take a hit because they're saying that their oil and gas properties are worth less? And I-, I like to watch these because it gives you a better picture of, you know, over time of how much something is valued. So you could look back maybe 12 months ago and look at what they were valuing those properties were at $95. And then you could look look at them again in April, say this is what they were valued at at, you know, maybe $60. Now today, what are they valued at at 55 or 40 or 45? And that having that scale gives you a much better idea of where these companies can kind of lie in that range over time because we're not going to see oil stay at wherever it is. We it moves, it hap- it changes and to see how much a company can add at that $60 range, how much it can add at that $70 range can be really interesting to see you know, how successful they're going to be going forward. Cool. Taylor? I'm looking at margins. We talked about uh, job cuts earlier in the show. Um, other cost-cutting initiatives have been taking place. The price of oil has kind of flattened out. It's still, still lumpy, but it's still within the same $40 to $50 band. Um, we all know that sales are going to suffer because of that, so I'm looking to see if cost-cutting will, will help the margins, which will in turn help the bottom line, um, and, and because until the price comes back, revenue is going to remain fairly flat to down. So I'm looking at margins to see if these efforts are paying off now, because the sooner the better. On that note, the um, the a lot of E and P companies have been talking up efficiency gains over the last year or two. I mean, yeah. is that yeah? I mean, they have, but um, you you know, those are achieved over time. Whereas mm-hmm. you would imagine that job cuts and and budget cuts immediate are yeah. going to be more immediate. So I'm gonna I want to see if those help because if if those immediate cuts don't help with margins. They don't really have any other leverage to pull. Yeah, you can also see that, too, with some oil services companies with their ability to actually command prices for what they do. You know, a lot of services like uh, pressure pumping for hydraulic fracturing is a pretty commodity 
service. You know, you're just going to go to the lowest bidder. But companies that have that ability that with maybe something where they have a technological advantage over somebody or something like that, be interesting to see who can actually preserve their margins through some sort of pricing power. Yeah. Do, any, a lot of do any names go. come to mind? Sorry. No, you're good. Uh, a name for me, and I know I'm going to be saying that I'm a, a bull too much, but Core Labs, uh, they have a lot of uh, proprietary um, services that in, in terms of well characterization and, and uh, high technology products that optimize total reservoir production. And so things like that, they can have a tendency to keep their margins a little bit higher. Yep. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, thank you for your thoughts and have a good one. And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Tyler Crow and Taylor Markman, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! <laughs>